All right, guys, so uh, like Ben said, we're right in the middle of this, and if you're going to do the shoe project, you probably should launch it this week. So these are the super cool brochures that the video talked about, and they're out in the uh, cafe and at the exits. So what you want to do is you want to think about kind of the circle you're going to hit. So let's say you're going to take, you're going to hit 20 houses in your neighborhood, grab a stack of 20 of these, right? And you take them, I would knock on the door, connect with the neighbor to say, this is what I'm doing. Want to know if you want to be a part of it, then you can follow up, kind of go through the process the video laid out. But grab these and do that, and I would just do it this week if you want to, and make sure that that gets moving, and we'll get those shoes collected, and then invite them to the packing event, and uh, we'll kind of um, create or advance relationships that way, okay? So be sure that you do that. Hey, I want to uh, just need to talk to you about a couple of housekeeping things. So if you're our guest this morning, uh, you can tune out what I'm about to say. But if uh, Grace is your home, I need you to actually tune into it. I uh, want to make sure that uh, we are keeping in front of you uh, the finances of Grace Church. So we're a little bit behind budget right now. And uh, nothing terrible has happened. It's, uh, but with a bad, bad winter, things like that, it's caused us to get behind and where we need to be with our budget and if the trend kind of keeps up, we're going to have to, it'll affect us pretty strongly when we get to the end of our budget year, which is the end of June. So uh, here at Grace, you guys know, I just kind of talk plainly about these things, and so I'm letting you know that. If you missed a few weeks uh, because of weather, that has affected us strongly. It's not uncommon for our attendance to fluctuate by five or 700 people on a weekend when it's snowy and nasty, and we've had a bunch of that this year. Or if you've just fallen out of the rhythm of giving, we need you to kick back into that, okay? So if you miss a few weeks, if you want to cash that up, we need you to go ahead and do that. If you uh, have not been giving regularly, we need you to start doing that. And uh, if you're giving faithfully, thank you for doing that. And I think we'll get right ahead of it, but I didn't want it to become a big problem, so I wanted to talk to you about it. We are not slipping into debt. We are not slipping into debt. So we've been trimming back the spending. So uh, we still have more dollars being given than are going out. But that spending is ministry. And so that is the kids and the youth and the inner city and the missionaries and the light bill and all that stuff that it is. And uh, I wanted to mention it to you so that we can reverse that quickly and get back on track, okay? So uh, now you know and ask you to respond accordingly to that. Uh, On the upside, I want to let you know that we're at about the one-year mark with the Big Little Project, and those commitments are coming in very strong. So thank you so much for doing that. And you're seeing all kind of the physical ramifications of that. So uh, you're noticing that we're we're starting to throw mud around outside, which is fun. That's Jesus mud. That's God blessing your car when it's filthy, and you pull in here. And so we're excited about that. That that digging was supposed to start in December, but because of the crazy weather, uh, we're just now able to do that. So hopefully, on this beautiful first day of spring, uh, the weather is finally broken, and we'll be able to kind of keep moving that, and you'll be able to kind of see the addition going up every week when you come in. It'll kind of be fun to watch that over the next year or so. At the extension, that is going full blast ahead. So we've gutted that facility. Everything there's under roof already. So it's been gutted, and they're starting to rebuild it. So we are uh, on pace right now uh, to hit our schedules with the uh, extension project. Thank you for all of those who came out for the extension interest meeting. Uh, Almost a couple hundred of you came out to do that, so very excited about that. And we want you all to keep praying and thinking about whether you would be involved in the extension this coming fall. So there's going to be a couple more of those extension interest meetings and uh, just kind of keep your eye out for it and uh, make the time to come to that, download those details, and see if uh, that would be something for you and your family to tie into, all right? So lots of exciting stuff uh, that we're uh, thrilled about and grateful for, and that need, I wanted to make sure that you knew about it so we could get on top of it, and uh, we'll keep pursuing all the things that God has laid out for us. It is uh, very exciting to be in, literally in the middle of eye care, and it's so much fun to see your stories. I'm hearing things of you praying for folks, opportunities to share the hope, the message, the love of Jesus, so thank you for doing that. Facebook us, email in, hit the website, tell us your stories, and uh, let's keep celebrating what God is doing
together. So in eye care community, we're doing the four eyes. You got this insert in your program. You take that out. They're all written down there. And uh, that's the kind of the explanation of them. Intentionally uh, interact with God. We're praying for three folks, three folks. So you got these uh, bracelets. If you don't have yours yet, you can get one as you come. Maybe as you came in, you got one. Or as you go out, you can certainly get one. And we put Sharpies in the chairs. And what we're doing is we're writing the names of three people that we're going to pray for every day that God would open up their heart and their mind to the good news of Jesus. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. And our goal, about, about over a five, six-week period, about 5,000 uh, individuals would like, kind of come through Grace Church Bath Campus. And so our, our hope is that if we were praying for 15,000 people a day, what could God do if we were praying that intentionally about, uh, about the opportunity to share hope with them? So if you haven't done that, do that. Intentionally share God's love. That's, that's saying, hey, you know what? I'll be the catalyst. I'll be the catalyst in my neighborhood and my, my circle of friends uh, to do good. I'm going to grab my neighbors. We're going to do good together. And if you have a specific local thing, there's like a need in the neighborhood or the school needs something, then do that. If you don't have a good idea, that's where the shoe project comes in. That's like the one idea we were throwing out and saying, if you can't think of something, this is something, and do good together uh, with a neighbor, create or advance a relationship with them. Potentially share hope. God gives you the no-brainer moment, the no-brainer moment. Then I'm going to tell the story of what God has done in my life and help someone else find the same hope that I've had, and then intentionally learn the Bible. It's really, really hard to tell God's story if you don't know it. And so many of us here at Grace are very new to this follow Jesus thing. And, and the Bible is almost mysterious to us. And I would say that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all. Bible's a big book, so it's not a big deal. But let's beat the learning curve, right? So let, let's take the time uh, to dig into it a little bit and kind of start getting on top of that. And so we put all of these classes in place that kind of function underneath uh, eye care. And so you can, uh, you can take those. We encourage you to be a two-hour person. Uh, come in here the first... Uh, hour and sing and enjoy the conversation, enjoy the view, especially those of you in the cafe. I'm in high definite. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. And so um, I know, gaze, gaze. It's okay. I hear the cheer in the cafe coming now. So uh, do that. And then the second hour, go grab one of the classes and just learn and kind of get up to speed on that and, uh, and be a part of it. Okay. So that's I care. It's very decentralized. That's the idea. We want you to take it and own it. So we're not, we're not trying to get us all like cycling in here and those kind of things. We're on purpose trying to decentralize it, push it out to you uh, so that you own it, you take it, you bring it into your neighborhood and connect with your, uh, your family and friends and neighbors and do good together and, and as a platform then uh, use that to create our advanced relationships. Now, why is that such a big motivation? This is what we've been talking about the last uh, couple weekends. So we've, we've discovered that when you start looking at the Bible, especially the second part of it, so the second part of the Bible is called the New Testament, when you, that's where Jesus shows up with skin on. Jesus is actually all through the Old Testament, but he, he comes to earth in the New Testament, right? So uh, that's where he shows up with skin on. And when you start reading and learning about what Jesus said, and then reading and learning about the apostles who were authorized by Jesus to speak for him, what jumps out really, really quick is that if I am a Christ follower, I am to tell the good news. I'm to intentionally, on purpose, do that to the people that are right around me, to the people that I interact with in my natural path of life, and, and then uh, corporately to take that to the uh, kind of the four corners of the globe, so to say. And so it's a, it's a prime directive of a Christ follower. It's right there in the core of what we are to do. And so we take that very seriously, and we say, okay, how can we do that? With gentleness and respect, we don't want to be a Jesus jerk, so we're not talking about bugging people at home or bullhorns or yard signs or bumper stickers, but how can we be an ambassador for Christ? That's what we talked about last weekend. An ambassador is one who goes and declares or delivers the message of the sovereign that sent them. So an ambassador is not just nice, they're not just socially couth, they're not just good with etiquette, but they, they're carriers of a message. And the Apostle Paul says that's what a Christ follower is. You are an ambassador, and the message and the ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to you. So we said that as a Christ follower, the deal is, is that we're matchmakers. 
We help sinners connect with their Savior by helping them to know that they need to reconcile or be made right with God, okay? So if you miss those conversations, you can go out onto our website, graceohaha.org, and you can listen to them, watch them, or get a podcast for free there and uh, download all of that. This weekend, I want to take us a step further in this, and I want to take us to another a cornerstone part of the Bible, super-duper foundational part of the Bible. If you grew up in church, I bet you you've heard these verses a bunch of times. Uh, how you've reacted to them is kind of up to you. If you didn't grow up in church, it's probably new stuff, uh, but it's super-duper foundational, so I wanted to visit it again uh, and connect with it uh, this weekend. Now, if you're not a Christ follower here this weekend, uh, that's cool. Everything I'm about to say to you, everything that God says right here doesn't apply to you, okay? So Jesus is talking directly to Christ followers and saying, this is who you are and this is, this is how that needs to frame your life. So if you're just checking out uh, church, checking out God and checking out the Bible, then uh, you, don't, you don't have to own it in the same way. But this is the good news. This will explain Christians to you. Like when you look at a Christian and you're like, why do they do that? What's their deal? Why do they always talk? This will help you to realize why. Because we would look at and say, this is right there, boom, right in the middle of where we should be doing, kind of in black and white, so to say, in the Bible. And that's why we adopt it and, and lock onto it so hard. So that'll make more sense to you. And uh, you can kind of observe those things together, okay? So if you got your Bibles, grab them, open them to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. And it's page 677 in the Bibles in the chairs. Matthew chapter 5, page 677. And if you're electronic, we use the version app, Y-O-U version, so you can open that or download it. Hit it, click on live. Our zip code is 44333, and we're Grace Church. You'll see us listed there. All right, hit that, and the notes are there. You can email notes to yourself through that app. You can text us through that app. Um, you can order sushi and have it delivered to my house through the app. I encourage you to use that. App, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 is where we're going to start. It's really fascinating what Jesus says. So he's talking to people who would say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes these two very authoritative, very declarative statements. Okay? So verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. I actually have the word are circled in my Bible. You are the salt of the earth, very authoritative, very declarative. This is what you are, the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And then 14 is the second statement. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it uh, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus, talking to Christ's followers, says, listen, guys, who you are and what you are has changed, okay? It's changed. So, and we talked about this a lot last weekend, so I'm just, I don't want to get too deep into it, but this is the general idea. You used to be an enemy of God, right? The Bible says that. Your heart was dark. You were enslaved to sin. You're an enemy of God in your heart. Those are all Bible terms. That's who you were. Then you've been transformed. The old is gone. The new has come, right? This is Apostle Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, right? So this new has come. You are now an ambassador. Jesus is talking in this vein. He's saying, this is what you are now, salt of the earth. You are now light to the world. This is what I have created you to be. It is the essence of who you are. It is the, the completeness of who you are. It is your very identity, okay? Now, it's fascinating to me that Jesus chose those two pictures because what's interesting about salt and light is that neither one of those things are neutral. Neither one of them are neutral, right? So if you interact with salt you're, you're going to know it. You're, never, you're not going to not know that, right? So salt is a preservative. Salt is, can be a purifier. Salt is, uh, is a flavoring. It's, it's a bunch of different descriptions, but at its core, it's not neutral. 
if you taste salt, you taste salt, and you'll identify it immediately. If salt gets on your car, we know a thing or two about that around here, right? Then we know it immediately. If, if you're in the ocean and it's salty, you know it immediately. Salt is not neutral. Neither is light. So light, light can't be lit and not produce light, right? It's not, it's not neutral. That light cannot not have an effect on the things around it. So Jesus draws this into his followers, and he's saying, this is you. You, you are a, a catalyst. You affect the world around you. you affect, when people interact with you, they taste salt, they see the, the ramifications of salt. It's not neutral. And same thing with light. When, when, when you affect, when you walk into their presence, it, light's going to chase away darkness. It, it can't stop itself from doing that. If you're my follower, you can't exist in this kind of this neutral ground. There's going to be an effect in it. Now, what he does then is he presses into this a little bit more, and let's look at it. Let's start with salt, right? Verse 13. So you are the salt of the earth. You're going to affect. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? So Jesus asked this really weird question. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And Jesus, what he was doing was he was using an old Hebraic teaching tool. So Jesus was an ancient Jew, Jewish rabbi, speaking to ancient Jewish people, and he was teaching them differently than how we learn as Westerners. So when you and I go to school, our teachers give us the answer and then show us how they got it, right? So when, when you were in math class, uh, the teacher would say, two plus two is four, and then, you remember, you would come up with that answer, and then you had to prove it. You remember doing that? Some of you are like, yeah, I had to do it all weekend. Yeah, I hated that. I always skipped that part. That's why I was, I was a solid C minus. That was me. Stay eligible. Just stay eligible. That was my big goal in high school, right? So, but that's what we would do. Two plus two is four, and this is how I got to four. A Jewish rabbi would teach very differently. They would ask you a question that would force you to be drawn into a process so that you would reach the correct answer. So they would say this. They would say, four is, and then they would just leave you sitting there. And you'd, you'd have to back up and kind of bring everything, and you'd have to come all the way through that question. Well, four is this, and I minus that, and four is two plus two, right? Okay? So they would draw you to this conclusion and put you on a path that you would reach it. So when Jesus asks this question, he's an ancient Jewish rabbi teaching ancient Jewish people, and so what he asks them is, to our ears, it's a nonsensical question. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? To the ancient Jewish ear, that would have hit a certain way. To them, salt was a very big deal, right? So salt was a commodity in the ancient world because there was no refrigeration. So salt was often a life and death issue. If, if I was going to preserve something, I would have to use salt. Sometimes if I was going to purify something, I might have to use salt. Sometimes even if I was trying to bring healing to my body, I would use a bit of salt. And then they would use it for flavoring too. And they traded it like a commodity, a lot like we would oil. It was a very valuable thing. So when an ancient Jewish person heard that question, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This is what they would have thought. They would have thought... If salt is salt, and it's real salt, not like the fake knockoff stuff that often was brought from the Dead Sea, but if salt is salt, then it can't lose its saltiness. That would mean it wasn't salt. So if you get a block of salt, and you willow it down to a grain of salt, it's still salt if it was salt in the first place. And they would have done that math on that. If salt is salt, it can't lose its salty. It doesn't even make sense, right? And Jesus, in essence, says, right, if salt is salt, it can't lose its saltiness. Therefore, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, is he talking to believers or not? It's a little bit of a, a toss-up there, but here's the bottom line. True followers of Christ would never be thrown out. So he's talking about counterfeits. If something says that it's salt and it loses its saltiness, 
that it wasn't salt because salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Can saltiness be diluted? Yeah, but if you dry it out, it, it goes back to salt, right? It can't be something different than what it is And if it shows up differently than what it's supposed to be, the logical conclusion is it was never that thing in the first place. If something claims to be salt and it's not salty, Jesus is saying it's actually worthless. It's a counterfeit. It's a less than. It's only good to be thrown out. If I claim to be a Christ follower, Christ is the center point of my life. He's transformed my life. He's renewed my mind. He's altered my heart. I think differently. I'm motivated differently. I see things differently. The Word of God guides me. The Holy Spirit fills me. That's what I'm saying if I'm claiming to be a Christ follower. Jesus says, well, then that's what you are. You are salt. If I claim to be a Christ follower and there is no effect of Christ in my life, then am I? That's the question. If I claim to know the Bible, but biblical principles aren't evident in my life, then is the Bible really the source of truth for me? If I claim to know Christ, but my life is void of grace and truth. So if I say I'm a Christ follower, the Bible would teach us in Galatians that that means I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, God lives within me. And the Bible says the fruits of, or the byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And none of that is evident in my life, nor do I have a desire for it to be. Then am, am I salt then? And if I claim to be made new in Christ, and I claim to be a person who loves what Jesus loves, and I don't care about anyone's eternity in my life. My presence in their life does not affect the eternal question for them. But salt can't be neutral, so how would that even work? It's a very difficult question. If salt loses its saltiness, could it be made salty again? Well, no, because if it was salt, it wouldn't have lost its saltiness right It's only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's a counterfeit. It's a less than. It's to be thrown away. One scholar said it this way. He said, an unrighteous disciple that does not live in love like a disciple should is like salt that's not salty. They are useless at best, destructive and harmful to the gospel at worst. An unrighteous disciple's saltiness is only good to kill vegetation on the path. Thus, a disciple who proclaims Christ but fights or rejects his transformation has the fatal effect of killing growth on any path they travel. In the name of Jesus, they push others further from Christ than if they were not connected to their life to begin with. Fascinating. And I would venture to say for many of us, the biggest barrier to the gospel has been those who claim it. I am a a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. And we look and say, really? Why didn't that show up in your life? I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus in his teachings are the focal point and the foundation of my life. They, They are everything to me. That's what I am salt. Aren't you guys sleeping together? I'm a follower of Jesus and his word. They guide everything. Are, are you the same guy that just went to Vegas with me last weekend? I'm a follower. Jesus and his word, they define everything about me. I did business with you, and you totally ripped me off. Really? I define Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, wow, that's fascinating, because you're the biggest jerk I know. People who claim this is who I am, now you get in the minivan and you go to church so you become like I am. We're a Christian family and we're Americans, right? And the guy I sit beside in church is not the guy I sit beside on the couch. 
And I don't, I don't want that. I don't want it. And Jesus says, yeah, can salt lose its saltiness? Or is someone claiming to be salt who's a counterfeit? Now here's the tough thing. Every one of us could identify someone in our life that we had to get past in order to get to the gospel. And not one of us want to think of ourselves as that person. And it's fascinating. Jesus doesn't make a conclusion. He just lets this question linger. And and he kind of lets it, and he makes us draw through it and ask very difficult questions of ourselves and weigh our own lives. It's when the Apostle Paul says, we gotta examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. He, he doesn't say, I'm gonna tell you you're not in the faith. He says, yeah, you, you really ought to work that through. Because if you're salt, very declarative, very authoritative, you are the salt of the earth. If you are salt, and there's no salt residue anywhere, can salt lose its saltiness? Or was it never what it to be. Now, the second statement he makes is very different. Look at verse 14. Second statement, you are the light of the world. Again, very authoritative. This is what you are. It's not what you do. It's not something you get around to once in a while. It's not eye care. It, it's, it, this is, you're a Christ follower. This is what you do. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And it's fascinating. What Jesus says here is he's undoubtedly, in this declarative statement, talking to people who are undoubtedly followers of Jesus Christ, but they have not yet quite figured out how that works. So Jesus says, let, let me like, explain this a little bit. You, you're a light of the world. Let, let me talk to you a little bit about the nature of light. Since this is what you are, how does light work because light can't be neutral. So as my followers, what were you created for? And Jesus is saying this, light, light is something that is seen. Light is not private. So when I accept Christ, that's a very personal thing that I've accepted Christ, right? Very, very personal thing, but not a private thing. The nature of light is that it's public. And this is what he's driving at here. It's like a a town built on a hill. Light is meant to be seen. Light is meant to shine. Light is meant to illuminate. Light is a beacon. Light is a guide. Light is a source of hope. If I'm traveling in the wilderness and I see light, I zero in on that light and I move toward that light. And Christ is saying, right, that's that's what light does. Light beckons. Light invites. Light, light is a mooring point. No matter where I'm at, if I can zero in on light, I can get to that light over there. And Jesus is saying, yeah, if you're my follower, this is, this is part of what you do. You, you're a mooring point of hope, sometimes a mooring point of truth. You are a beacon. You are an invitation. You are hope. It's the nature of who you are and what you are. You are light. Then he goes on and he explains it further and he says this, light also gives light. You don't, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That would make no sense. You put it on a stand and it lights up the house. It's the nature of light. Light cannot not share itself, right? It's the nature of light. It illuminates. It lights up everything in the house. It can't stop itself from doing that. Light is not private. Light is public by the nature of it. Light is not self-serving. It's not reserved. So when a light shines, it doesn't keep a little bit of light back for itself, you know, for a rainy day, right? It, It can't not give all of itself away. It's the nature of what light is. It's meant to be shared, and it's meant to be utilized for everyone. So as light, when I walk into a dark place, Since I am light, I cannot stop myself from being a beacon, being a guide, being a point of hope, and I cannot stop myself from illuminating that place that I live in, right? Wherever, whatever room I'm in, I'm on the stand bringing light to that location and to the people in it. 
So it's, it's fascinating. So I, I've worked in the same office for 15 years and nobody knows I'm a Christian. What? That's not, that's not what light does. Yeah, they just don't know. The only way to be a Christian and for that to happen is to put yourself under a bowl. Yeah, I lived beside my neighbors for seven years. They, they, don't, even, they don't even know that we're a Christian family. They, they think we go play soccer every weekend when we leave at 9.45, right? Well, that, that's impossible. The, the only way for, for you to actually be a Christ follower and for no one to know it is if you put yourself under a bowl and that wouldn't be what light, it's against the very nature of what light is. So Jesus says, listen, that, that's not the way this works. You let your light shine before men. In fact, that's the next verse here, right? Next verse, <clears throat> verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, actually, what you do is because I've made you into something new, you now go and you illuminate, you do good, you share, you're a beacon, you're hope, you let loose, and those good deeds, as your light shines, cause the people that receive those good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven, right? Now, being light is not being a volunteer, You've got to be real careful with that. The nature of light is that it shares. So the difference between the UN and the church, the UN and the church do a lot of the same things. Did you know that? Right? So the UN does a, a bunch of good deeds, right? They feed people. They help get clean water. They want to be peacemakers. They do a lot of good things. The difference between the UN and the church is we may do many of the same things, but the light, the church would say, but I want to bring you to the gospel. So when I'm done doing these good deeds, what I leave you with is not that I did good deeds. What I leave you with is the ability to glorify your Father in heaven. A good volunteer, we volunteer usually for ourselves, which is fine, by the way. It's not like a big sin. But I volunteer because it's fun, or I volunteer because it's fulfilling, or I volunteer because I want to be generous, and it, it kind of completes me as a person, but it's an innately selfish thing for me to do that. I, I do it because I get a benefit from it. Being light's very different. I do this good deed. Maybe I get a benefit from it. Maybe I don't. But I'm trying to take you somewhere. I'm taking you to the gospel so that when you walk away, what you're glorifying is that our Father in heaven, not Jeff. So I might give myself to you even though I don't feel good about it. I might... Uh, invest dollars to feed kids, even though I don't, I might sacrifice it. It's not, but I'm bring, I want to bring you somewhere different, not to myself, but to our Father in heaven. And I'm light. It's what I do, right? It's who I am. I can't stop myself from it. So salt and light. It's a really fascinating thing that Jesus does here. Very fascinating. And he's saying, yeah, these things aren't neutral. They affect and then you start asking like these really deep questions. Like if, if, I have, if my followership of Christ has no effect on someone else, can, can salt lose its saltiness? If I'm a follower of Jesus and nobody knows it, that, that doesn't even, light can't not make things lit up. So I, I'm, I must be putting myself under a bowl then. That's the only way that that could even happen and Jesus is pressing and saying, yeah, my, my, my followers don't do those things. Right? They would function and operate differently. Now, I want to take these concepts, because they're, they're ethereal, right? So they're kind of up here a little bit. I want to try to slap some skin on these so in a very practical way, we can think about how we live with salt and light. So the bottom line is Christ followers are to affect everyone in their lives with the good news of Jesus. It's the nature of who we are and how we live and why we live. It's what we were created to do. So how do we do that in practical ways without becoming Jesus jerks, right? Without a bullhorn, without a bumper sticker, without a t-shirt, without a yard sign. How, do we, how can we practically, lovingly affect folks around us and be salt and light? Right, here's five things, five useful things. Number one, follow Jesus' lead. 
So Jesus, being Jesus, never sinned and did everything perfectly. So he was salt and light. And so if, if we want to figure out how to do this, we can look at what he did and follow it. So when you, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially, you really get into most of Jesus' story there. It's fascinating. If you want to see Jesus honked off, Jesus would be angry at self-righteous religious people who use religion as a block for people trying to get to God. Really, really angry. In fact, it's the number one sign of a false prophet, right? So he, he would tear into those guys, flip over tables, make whips, beat people with it. It's fun. I, beat, I do that too. I'm just being Christ-like, right? So I think it's fun. If you want to see Jesus be gentle and respectful, watch him interact with someone who desires to find God and doesn't know how. So there's a great story. I'm not going to read it today or show it to you, but you can look it up. In John chapter 4, you can write that down. John chapter 4, and the heading will be the woman at the well. It's a great, great story. And you'll see Jesus interact with this person who was lost. They were in sin. They needed a savior. He was helping her to reconcile. It's fascinating how he did that. He listened to her. He understood her. He kind of grabbed her backstory. She'd been married a bunch of times, living with a guy and all this kind of stuff. He kind of got her backstory, the pain and the frustration of her life. Now ready? He confronted her sin. He wasn't just nice. He like called her out. He's like, yeah, you're in sin. Straight up. They did it with gentleness and respect, but he went there, right? He offered her a relationship. Uh, he, did, he didn't leave a, a, a flyer on her door that said, you're a foul pagan woman, repent. Yeah, he, did, he, he did this eyeball to eyeball kind of thing. And then, ready? He took her to the gospel. And he said, you know, you know what you need? And of course, Jesus is the gospel. He's like, you need me. You need me. And I, I am eternal life. And you need me to forgive your sins. I'm actually really, really willing to do that. But with gentleness and respect, he led her through that process. And so we can learn that. We can look at Jesus. That's why we got to learn the Bible, right? You look at Jesus' life, and you can see how he interacted with people. And you can see his attitudes. You can see his actions. You can hear his words. And we can follow his lead, and he will teach us how to be salt and light. Okay, number two. When you're seeking to be salt and light, Make it about a person, not an issue. Make it about a person, not an issue. All right, I'm going to try to say this with gentleness and respect. But if you know me, I'm kind of a jerk. But here we go, ready? When we don't have the courage to love someone, what we do is label them, put them in a group, and yell at them. It's a very wimpy way. And then what we'll do is we'll declare ourselves salt and light. I told him the truth. Now, you, you put, when you don't have the courage to love someone, you label them, you put them in a group, and then you yell at that group. And when you yell at that group, you know what happens? Nobody listens to you. Nobody, they could give her, especially the group you're yelling at could give a rip, Right? These gays, these gays, they're all gays, trying to make us all gay. They're knocking down traditional marriage. Bunch of gays, bunch of liberals. God doesn't like you and you should have Bible marriage. And you know what you just accomplished? Nothing. That's not salt and light. The things we would say to a group, we would rarely say to a person rarely say to a person, do you have a friend that's gay? Have you listened to their story? Do you know why they think the way that they think? Right? You even know what they mean when they say it? To sit down with a person, we, we, we don't have to agree, right? Not apologizing for the right. We don't have to agree about anything. But salt and light is this connection right here between these people. Abortion, you know what's wrong with abortion? Bunch of jerks, abortion. Abortionists, you're gonna, gotta, you're gonna fry. You know what you just accomplished? Nothing. Have you ever talked to a woman that struggled with whether or not she should have an abortion? Or talked to a woman that's had one? Have you ever understood her story? Have you ever understood how 
petrified she might have been at that moment, how tormented she is by that decision. You don't have to agree. We're not agreeing. We're having the courage to actually love somebody. Guys, listen, I, I love you, but let's just shoot straight. You slap stuff on, up on Facebook, it accomplishes nothing. You should never put anything negative up on Facebook because you just look like the grumpy, narrow-minded Bible thumper. There's no context to have a conversation, right? Salt and light is not me doing that or me putting a billboard up or me putting, that's not salt and light because all of that's going to go away. There isn't gonna be Facebook in 50 years. Well, you're crazy. Really? MySpace, Yahoo, come on. There's not gonna be Facebook in 50 years. There's gonna be some other platform that people interact with, right? There's not gonna be the political problems we have today in 50 years. Don't throw away your relationships on those temporal things. Long before Facebook, long before television, long before the radio, long before the printing press, the gospel of Jesus Christ exploded. Why? Because one person would look at another person and be loving toward them and share the reason for the hope that was within them. Salt and light is people with people. It's not these big, don't, don't do that, right? And it's not watering it down or apologizing for the Bible. It's having the courage to actually interact with someone, to actually love them, to actually offer a relationship to them. It's exactly what Jesus did. Make it about a person, not about an issue. Love them and have the courage and the credibility to talk through and work through and season and illuminate the conversation. Number three, pray for the no-brainer moment. The no-brainer moment. It is not the Christ follower's job to kick in the door of someone's heart. It is not the Christ follower's job to kick in the door of someone's mind. That is God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Christ follower's job to be in close in relationship. I am, I am here. I love you. I care about you. I am engaged. And when God opens the door, I will share the reason for the hope that I have been given. So pray. I had a friend last night in the, lo- in the lobby for service. He goes, he goes, listen, Jeff. He said, I got something to talk to you about. I was like, well, then it's Dr. Bogue. <laughs> you know, if we're going to get all official, right? He said, uh, I figured out this eye care thing. I was like, okay. He goes, it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. And I'm like, all right. I was like, security, come close, right? And he said, he said I know what you're doing. He said, because it's been happening to me. He said, I wrote down three names on my bracelet, and I've been praying for them every day. And he said, every one of those people has asked me about my faith this last week. He said, when you pray about it every day, God makes a no-brainer moment, and then you got to do what God says. I was like, you figured me out, baby, right? <laughs> He's like, I keep getting these no-brainer moments. I'm like, exactly, because that's a prayer God loves to hear. He's going to answer all day, every day. We got to laughing about it. Security put their tasers away. It was a beautiful thing, right? He's allowed to call me Jeff again, right? So... Guys, you pray for this, God will give it to you. He will give it to you. You don't have to kick in the door. God will open it. Wait for that. Pray for that. And when he opens it, you are salt, you are light. Number four, do good deeds. Do good deeds. Straight up what the Bible says. Jesus said it, do good deeds, right? I love the old saying, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Doing good deeds... Maybe in our culture today, it's one of the strongest ways that we can be salt and light because of the way that the younger generation thinks, okay? Baby boomers think a certain way. Gen Xers, I'm an old Gen Xers, we're all mixed up. We're the confused generation, right? We were into grunge. So we're in the middle, and then millennials think a certain way. Let me just explain this to you a little bit. If you're a baby boomer, if you're 50 or older, This is the way that you think. It's the way you were taught. You think this. 
Prove to me what is right, and I will accept it as truth. Prove to me what is right, and I will accept it as truth. So we tend to, baby boomers tend to argue. And they'll look and say, How, two plus two is four. How can you not accept four? Right? Prove to me what's right. I proved it. And I'll accept it as true. Prove to me. Here's all the evidence that it's a literal six-day creation. How can you not accept it? Prove to me what's right, and I'll accept it as true. Okay, now ready? People 30 and under think very differently. This is the way that they think, okay? They think this. Show me what works, and I'll accept it as true. Show me what works, and I'll accept it as truth. Very powerful tool. Keep your marriage together and have a thriving marriage, not a surviving marriage. And I'll probably accept your biblical definition of how marriage should work. Um, Have the same divorce rate in the church as out of the church, and why should I listen to you? Be honest with me. Tell, look me in the eye and tell me the truth. It's funny, millennials, they don't really even care if you disagree with them. It's very easy to have a conversation. I don't agree with you. Oh, I don't agree with you either. Let's talk about it. Tell me the truth. Don't, don't lie to me. Because if you won't tell me the truth, why would I listen to anything that you say is true? That doesn't even work. Right? See how that works? Do, do what the Bible says and I'll consider about accepting it as true and doing it myself too. But when you are the wealthiest group of people in the history of the world, and every book in the Bible talks about the pleas of the poor and the deprived, and you don't care about it, why would I care about what your Bible says? That doesn't even make sense to me. See? Do good deeds. And Jesus says, actually, this is a perfect way to let your light shine. You should do good deeds, okay? Now, number five side to number four. Number five is, want to be salt and light? Cross the line. You got to cross the line, right? I'm going to do good deeds so that they glorify my Father in heaven. I'm going to go there, okay? I'm going to up, offer a cup of cool water in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna help those who were naked, shelter clothing people, in the name of Jesus. And I gotta cross the line. Now here's the deal, guys. Here we are, 5,000 people, Bath Campus, Grace Church. We can be the the nicest 5,000 people in Northeast Ohio, right? which is fascinating because your pastor's a jerk. (laughs) So you've really overcome that. So 5,000 nicest people in Northeast Ohio, we could alleviate world hunger. We could alleviate homelessness. We could alleviate fatherlessness. We could could help every inner city kid we know get the academic advantage they need to make it in life. And here's the issue. If I feed you and put shoes on you and clothe you and I give you a house and I give you an education and I give you opportunity so that you are able to achieve for yourself a North American standard of living and you have all those things, ready? And you lose your soul, what has it profited that person? Do we feed? Yes. Do we build hospitals? Yes. Do we clothe? Yes. Do we put shoes? Absolutely. And do we cross the line all the way to the gospel without question? It's not either or, it is both and always. That's the nicest guy at my office. It's great. If you love your friend, you proclaim the gospel. They're the funnest people in our neighborhood. That's awesome. Seriously, it's awesome. Like, I'm not the funnest guy in my neighborhood. I'm a jerk, right? But if they lose their soul, what difference does it make? They're the hardest working guy on our football team. That's, that's seriously, 
fantastic. I'm dead serious. That is very, very cool. But they lose their soul. If all you ever did was win football games, what difference does it make? Right? So if I love someone, I, I cross that line. I, I take that relationship all the way through so the message of Jesus is there. Okay? All right. Here's the bottom line. If the people in my life, the people in my life, if it is not harder for them to go to hell because I am in their life, can I be salt and light and have that be true? It's a very, very difficult question and an incredibly important one. And it's the one Jesus is asking. And I find it fascinating that he doesn't answer it for us. He lets it linger a little bit. This is what salt does. Can't lose its saltiness? This is what light is. Can light not light? And then you are that, Christ follower. You are salt and you are light. And if nothing is salty and illuminated in your life, Ask the band to come out. And guys, I just encourage you to grab those questions and pin them. If I'm a Christ follower and I, I cannot answer those questions, I, I need to wrestle them to the ground. I need to, with def- definity, say, yeah, th- this is true. I am salt. I am light. Here are the ramifications of this. Right? And it's got nothing to do with being a Jesus jerk. It's got nothing to do with being Billy Graham. It's got nothing to do with being a Pastor Jeff who talks in front of people. It's nothing to do with that. It's got my everyday normal life. If this is who God has made me, is that evidenced anywhere? And if not, why not? And maybe you need to seek God. Maybe you need to apologize to God. Maybe you need to zero back in. I don't know your heart, and I don't know your mind. I don't know where you're at, but I know these questions. And I know that they need definitive answers from Christ followers. So open up your heart, open up your mind, and let God dig around in there, right? And ask him to help you be, ultimately, who he's made you.